Let's talk about the book of Daniel. Okay, so we're in lesson five this morning, and uh, we're, we're actually going to start into the book of Daniel. We spent the last four weeks uh, just kind of giving you an introduction to prophecy in general. So let me just stop. Has that been helpful the last four weeks? You probably have, you're like, okay, I just want to make sure that everybody, because you've got to understand what's out there and why, to be very honest with you, when you think one way about prophecy, but you've got a Christian friend at work or a Christian family member who thinks something completely different, it's, it's real easy for you to say, well, like, where are they coming from? You know what I'm saying? Or really, you know, like, boy, you must be going somewhere crazy. Well, I just wanted you to understand the different viewpoints that are out there. Today, what we're going to do is, is we're not going to get into the text. That will start next week. What we're going to do is, we're going to just give you an introduction to the book of Daniel. So I'm going to tell you some things that you probably aren't aware of. It'll help us to set the context, because you've got to understand what you're reading before you can just jump in and say, oh, this is what it means. You've got to understand a lot more about the background to help you to understand. So we're going to look, we're going to look at the author and the occasion. We're going to look at the purpose of the book. And then the third part is really we're going to talk about our approach to the study of the book, okay? Because we're going to have an approach that's basically going to guide us throughout the remaining lessons as we go through these 12 chapters, okay? So let's talk this morning about the author. And you say, well, it's Daniel. Yep, well, let's talk about Daniel for a minute. Daniel was a Jew who was carried off in the first Babylonian conquest in 605 B.C. There were several Babylonian conquests. What do you mean? Well, I thought Nebuchadnezzar defeated him once. Well, yes, he defeated him once, set up a puppet kingdom. That king then rebelled against uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar came back in and wiped them out a second time. And then, of course, he set up a, a Babylonian governor. That Babylonian governor was then murdered by the Jews. And then, of course, he came back in again and wiped out what was left of the first two times. So it's obviously not a pretty good situation. But in the first captivity, this is what they usually did. The Assyrians did this. The Babylonians did this. This is what they would do. In the ancient times, what they would do to destabilize a nation, you have to understand, when they destabilized a nation, the conquering army would come in, defeat them, Whereas right now what we do is we try to rebuild nations, okay? That's not what they did back then. They weren't interested in rebuilding a nation. They would then take what was the best of the skilled workers and the best of the nobility and the best of, the, like, the brain, you know, the brain trust of the country, what was left alive. They would then take those folks and take them back to their own country. So they basically would rob the nation of all skilled labor and all leadership and take it back to Babylonia. And that was the first exile there. What they would basically leave behind is, is basically poor people. Or they would leave, you know, not just commoners or whatever. So you think about it, being defeated three times, got three different exiles going on here. By the time Babylonia is done with them, they don't have very much left. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? They don't have very much left. And so Daniel is part of this first exile. He's part of this first exile. He was a Jew who was carried off. Now the book covers material until the third year of Cyrus. So it starts off in 605 B.C., but it covers material until the third year of Cyrus in 536 B.C. Now who's Cyrus? Cyrus was the Persian king, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, who defeated the Babylonians. So this book is going to cover material from the beginning of the exile all the way to the third year of Cyrus. Now here's the interesting thing about this book. It's, most people believe that the Bible is just simply a book that was written in two languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the uh, New Testament was written in Greek, or Koine Greek, or Common Greek. Okay, What you're going to find is with the book of Daniel, it was written in two languages. Hebrew and Aramaic. The book of Daniel is written in two different languages. Now this has thrown scholars, this has caused some scholars to believe that Daniel could not have written the book. So this has is, this is caused some controversy as far as it's written in two different languages. Now Hebrew would be the language of the Israelites. Aramaic would be like the common trade language between all of the nations there surrounding uh, surrounding uh, Israel at the time. So even though it's Babylon or Assyria or Lebanon or Moab or Ammon, they would speak a what would be a common trade language. It would be like a common language which would be Aramaic that they would speak to each other. That's true today in certain parts of of, of the world today. So like for instance, if you go to uh, if you go to Kenya, East Africa, I've been there, I've spent the summer there, uh, they have 52 different tribes in Kenya. They each have their own tribal dialect. But how do they communicate to each other? Well, they speak Kiswahili is the name of the language, Kiswahili, and that is a trade language. They call it a trade language. And actually not just in Kenya, but in Uganda and in Tanzania and Rwanda and so forth, they will speak Kiswahili. So people from different tribes will know their own tribal dialect, and they'll know Kiswahili, and some of them will also know English. Okay, so they'll, they'll, say, they'll speak English. Here's the thing. Chapters 1 and 8 to 12, so chapter 1, 8 to 12, are written in Hebrew. And chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. So did you understand that? Chapters 1, 8 to 12, that section, and are written in Hebrew. And chapters 2 to 7 are written in Aramaic. Now what you're going to see is chapter 1 is the description of them coming from... Jerusalem to Babylon, remember, they're put under the care of the eunuchs. So let me just stop for a moment. You may not realize this, but Daniel more than likely was a eunuch. Okay? Daniel more than likely was a eunuch. When you served in the, in the, in the, in the service of the king, you became a eunuch. So what does that mean? Daniel more than likely was castrated. Okay? Think about that as a young man coming. That's not good, okay, but that's what happened. So he was probably a eunuch. Uh, 
So the first chapter talks about, you know, his being elevated to a position. Then when you get to chapters 8 through 12, excuse me, chapters 2 through 7, that's where you talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. You talk about Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's second dream, then Belshazzar. Then you talk about Daniel in the lion's den, okay, and then you'll see a vision that Daniel has in chapter 7. That ends, and then when you get to chapter 8, it's actually, a, a, from chapter 8 to 12, it's a whole bunch of visions then that he has at various times under various kings. Chapter 1 is introduction. You're introduced to Daniel and his friends. Chapters 2 through 7, if you want to write this down as a side note, deal with the Gentiles. Even the prophecies that are given there are dealing with the Gentiles. The focus is on the Gentile nations. When you get to chapters 8 through 12, yes, it's talking about the Gentiles there, but the focus is on of the prophecies is ultimately on the nation of Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in reality, chapters 1 through 7 kind of give a historical background, focus a little bit on the Gentile nations, but when you get to chapters 8 through 12, ultimately it's Daniel is worried about the nation Israel, and it's talking about the nation Israel there. So I just want you to, to know that. All right, here's what I want you to see. If Daniel were 16 when he was captured, he was 85 in Cyrus's third year. So I want you to understand, by the time he dies, he's an old dude. Okay? Now, you say 85 is not old. You're right. 85 is not old in our culture anymore. In the ancient culture, without the medicine that we have today where they can keep you alive forever, 85 is a significant age. Okay? 85 is a significant age. So we're talking about a significant guy here. Here's what I want you to see. He may have lived until 530 B.C. He may have lived until 530 B.C. We're not sure exactly when he died. They didn't keep records like that. But he may have lived until 530 B.C. Little is known about Daniel's family background. We don't know anything about Daniel's family background. We don't know what family he came from. We don't even know what tribe he came from. Okay? That information is not given to us in the text. Any extra biblical writings about Daniel don't tell us that. Okay? So we don't know. Very little is known about his background. But we do know this that I'm going to tell you here next, that comes from the biblical text. He was born into a royal family and was of noble birth. How do we know that? Because remember, when you read chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar gave a decree that the princes and those of noble birth would be taken into service to the king. So obviously Daniel had to be from a, a royal family of some type and of noble birth. So that might point to the fact that he's from the tribe of Judah. Okay? We can assume that he's from the tribe of Judah. That's not for sure, because he's of royal birth, and the royal family was of the tribe of Judah, was the house of David. Okay? So, just want you to see that. 
Now, here's the other thing. Dan, here's what we can tell about Daniel from the text. He was physically attractive and mentally sharp. How do we know that? Daniel 1.4. That was part of the directive given by Nebuchadnezzar concerning who would be... I mean, so he wasn't your ugly dude, okay? He was a sharp-looking, attractive guy who was mentally sharp. We know that about Daniel. From the testimony of Ezekiel. So in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel talks about Daniel... He was known for his righteousness, and that's in Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 14 and 20, and his wisdom. So he's known for two things. He's known for his righteousness and his wisdom. Ezekiel gives testimony to that. His wisdom, we see that was in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 3. In fact, let me me just stop for a moment. How many of you know, how many of you know what the Apocrypha is? Anybody know what the Apocrypha is? Okay. You might sometimes buy a King James Bible and you'll have the Old Testament and the New Testament and in the in the middle are these apocryphal books. The Catholic Church recognizes the apocryphal books. We don't because they're, they're, they're called intertestimal, intertestimal, intertestamental writings. They're in, from that 400 years of silence and I think there's only one book, I think it's First Maccabees, that might be historically accurate, but the others are kind of far-fetched and kind of way out of there. Well, some of the apocryphal books are actually about Daniel. Daniel, by the time of Jesus' time, was really a well-known character and almost like a superhero to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he was, I mean, obviously you see what happened to him in the book of Daniel, so, like, for instance, there's Bell and the Dragon. There's a story in the Apocrypha called Bell and the Dragon. It's an interesting story. If you want to, you can read it. Okay, it's not the Bible. It's not Scripture. It's not inspired. But it's a story about Daniel. kind of gives you an idea about how Daniel was seen by the Jewish people. So let me just stop for a moment. You may find this interesting. Daniel is not considered a prophet by the Jewish people. Did you know that? Did you know that? The book of Daniel is not considered a prophetic book. Really? We do. We consider it a... Yes, we do. Okay. You say, well, how can they come to that conclusion, George? Well, to them, the prophets are... Are you ready for this? Samuel, David, Moses, Solomon. Those are the prophets. They were selected and anointed by God, and the Scripture gives testimony to them being prophets. Daniel was a statesman. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was a politician. He is not given the status in the Hebrew writings of being a prophet. Well, you and I are like, well, he's talking about prophecy. Yes, I understand that. But to a Jewish person, he's not considered a prophet. Well, they're just whacked out. Whatever you think. Okay? But I'm just letting you know that's how he's viewed in the scripture. Okay? So, for instance, when Jesus says, I just want you to understand what's written in the law and prophets, the book, the, 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 the scriptures in the Jewish mind are divided into three types of books the law, the prophets, and the writings. Daniel is considered part of the writings. Jesus is not referring to, when he says the law and the prophets, he's not referring to the book of Daniel as being as part of the prophets. Does everybody understand? 
Okay? That's just a little side note that that in a buck will buy you a coffee at Cheats. Okay? All right, let's go on here. This book was probably completed in the last ten years of his life. So this book was probably completed in the last ten years of Daniel's life. Okay? Now, Jesus mentioned Daniel. The prophet Daniel is mentioned by Jesus in two passages. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. That has to do with the Olivet Discourse and the, and the discussion of his return. As well as Mark chapter 13, verse 14. Again, Olivet Discourse. All right? And Jesus' discussion concerning the events of the end times. Let's talk about the purpose. The book is the record of the life and prophetic revelations given to Daniel. So it's about his life and about the prophetic revelations that are given to Daniel. So this is what the book's about. Do you understand? I'm going to stop for a moment. What he's talking about here, some of them is so precise that some scholars, especially in the 1800s, those who were liberal in their theology, said that this book had to have been written sometime after, during the Roman period. Because there's no way that anybody could be this exact in his information. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, but this is, this is, the, is a record of his life and the prophetic revelations of his life. The, the book was written during the dark hour of the Babylonian captivity. Now, that period lasted 70 years. Okay? 70 years was the, was the Babylonian captivity. There was a need for a new testimony concerning the mighty and providential power of God. So there was a need during this time, this dark time where they're in captivity, there was a need for some hope. There was a need for hope and a testimony of the power and power, I mean the mighty providential power of God. Okay? It is not the purpose of the book to give a detailed account of Daniel's life. So I'm going to, I want you to understand that. When we read the book of Daniel, Daniel's, the purpose of this book isn't to give you a blow by blow, minute by minute discussion of what Daniel's life was about or what he did or anything. You're not going to, you're just going to see glimpses of his life. That's not the purpose of this book. The purpose of this book is not to give you a detailed discussion concerning the prophet Daniel. It is the revelation of God's program which culminates in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The purpose of this book is to show you what God is going to do as we head to that ultimate climax, that ultimate culmination, when Jesus Christ comes back. Do you understand? That's the purpose of the book, is to kind of give you an understanding of what's going to happen in the future. All right? The book emphasizes God's sovereign authority over Gentile nations. So let me just stop for a moment. When we get to chapter 4 and 5, Daniel is going to make very clear 
that it is God who sets up kings and brings them down. So, for instance, I've said this before, I've had people upset with me, especially when their dude did not get elected president, and the dude that they did not want to get elected got elected, and, and they're just all up in arms about why would God allow that to happen? Or you know, it's good and I'll say to them, you know what? God's the one who raised him up. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. Then I take him to Daniel chapter four and five, where Daniel very clearly says that he sets up the kings. And takes them down. Well, what about our democracy? God use, may use democracy to accomplish his purpose. So, of all the people who should kind of have it together during election times, it needs to be Christians. Because nothing happens outside of the sovereign will of God. What do you mean by that? God is moving everything towards one big event, people. What is that? Jesus coming back. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's moving everything towards that. He's the one who sets up kings. I don't know that I agree with that. Well, then this study in Daniel is going to help you to understand. Because he's going to give us a prophetic view of what's happened. What's already happened, we know has already happened, which gives us some credibility to understand what's coming. It's all part of God's plan. Let's go on. Am I not happy sometimes when a dude that I don't want to get elected gets elected? Yeah. I may even lose sleep over it, but i got to rest in God's sovereignty. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus didn't get off the throne, people. Okay? you got to rest in his sovereignty. The book was also written to outline graphically the prophetic period known as the time of the Gentiles. We see that in Luke chapter 21 through 24. So this book is going to outline for us what Jesus calls the, as the time of the Gentiles. Do you understand? This book gives us an understanding of the period that you now live in. Do you understand? It's going to help us to understand what's going on right now. Alright? Let's go on. The book of Daniel marks the course of Gentile history through that extended period in which Israel was and is being disciplined by the Gentiles. Folks, that's what's going on right now. The whole kerfuffle with Israel, everything that's happened to Israel. You know, we know about the Holocaust. How many other things have happened to the, the Jewish people over the years? Like, for instance, my, one of my wife's favorite movies is The Fiddler on the Roof. How many of you have seen The Fiddler on the Roof? Okay. You remember, in The Fiddler on the Roof, they're thrown out of where? Russia. That's the kind of indignities that Jews have always experienced. That, my friends, is part of this Gentile period in which they're being disciplined by the Gentiles. Do you understand? They're being disciplined by the Gentiles. Okay, let's go on. The book reveals Israel's future deliverance and the blessings that she will enjoy in the coming millennial age. So it's going to talk about the future deliverance and the blessings that it's going to receive in the coming millennial age. Okay, so what are we going to do now? How are we going to approach this study? Starting next week, I'm going to give you a few points here, and you've got a graph there. What are we going to do with this study? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. First, we're going to use the literal method of interpretation. 
I'm not into allegory. Allegory is open to whatever I feel like that day. Do you understand what I'm saying? Three of us can look at it if we use an allegorical method and come up with a different interpretation. Here's the other thing. I was just thinking about this this morning when I was thinking about this lesson. I think the allegory method actually dishonors God. What do you mean by that? Because we're going to see that God's going to make specific claims, specific promises, specific statements, that if I take his allegory, I discredit God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I make him a liar in some points because if I'm just saying it's representative, well then why would he say something to people and get their hopes up only for it not to be true for them? Do you understand what I'm saying? I make God a liar by that method. So the approach that we're going to take as we go through this book is a literal interpretation. It says what it says. It says what it says. Here's the other thing. This study will see a distinction between the church and Israel. Folks, I'm sorry, but George does not see the church as Israel. This church doesn't see the church as Israel. Okay? We don't see that. We see a distinction. So when it talks about Israel, it's talking about who, folks? Israel. Okay? And this book primarily is going to talk about Israel. It's not going to talk about the church. Church not mentioned in the book of Daniel. Now, it does talk about others. Who are the others? That's us, then. Because, first of all, when Daniel was written in the 500s B.C., there was no church. There is no concept. Remember, Paul said that was the mystery. Okay? The mystery was the church. Alright? Now, we're going to view the tribulation as a literal seven-year period. Folks, it's Daniel's 70th week. When we get to that, I'm going to show you that it is a literal seven-year period. So we're going to view the tribulation. It's not representative of all the junk that's happened to the church over the ages. No, it's a seven-year period yet to come where God's wrath is poured out. So we're going to view it as a literal seven-year period. And then here's what we're going to see. We're going to view the millennium as a literal thousand-year reign by Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that? So when we talk about the millennium in our study of the book of Daniel, we're talking about a literal thousand-year period. You understand? And you're not in it right now. You're not in it right now. We're talking about what's yet to come that Jesus Christ is going to establish. So let me just go ahead and tell you, this is what we're going to be looking at here. This is a look at the... It's in your notes... This is what we're going to be approaching this study from. Where we have the cross. Right now we're in the church age, or what Daniel calls, or Jesus calls, the time of the Gentiles. Now Daniel is covering most of this. Then we're going to look at Daniel's 70th week. We're going to look at the 70 weeks, but Daniel's 70th week, which begins with a covenant with the Antichrist. But what we're going to see here is, Daniel doesn't mention it, but we already know from other texts that the rapture takes place. In the middle of the seven-year period, at three-and-a-half-year mark, is when the sacrifices stop and the abomination of desolation takes place in the temple. We say there's no temple right now. There will be. There will be. How do you know there will be? The Bible says there will be. 
I don't know how it's going to happen. I'll let God figure that out. So then we're going to see that there's the battle of Armageddon, the consummation or the second coming. We see the millennial kingdom, which is a thousand-year reign. And then we see, and Daniel mentions this, the great white throne judgment. And then eternity. Here's the interesting thing. A lot of people will say that the resurrection is not mentioned in the Old Testament. They haven't read the book of Daniel. The resurrection, actually, both resurrections are mentioned in, in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. What both resurrections? The resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto what? Judgment. Death. It's mentioned in the book of Daniel. We're going to see that as we go through this study. So it's going to be a great book. We're going to start it next week with that introductory lesson in lesson one.